Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am a nutrition exercise physiology professor, uh, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, Fortress Fortney here. I'm a former editor at Muscle Mag, former competitive bodybuilder, powerlifter. Hey, and this is Phil Stevens. I am a strength coach, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Lift for Hope and Strength Guild here in Topeka, Kansas. All right. <laughs> hey, Rob. I squatted 605 for a quadruple Tuesday. 605 for a quadruple. Yeah, for four. Felt good. That's not bad at all. Do you have any oh. video of this? No, I don't. I just had witnesses. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not suggesting you didn't do it. I just wanted to see no, it. I no, I didn't. But that'll be my opener. I wasn't planning on doing it. I was supposed to do singles. And it fell so light, I said, oh, screw it. I'm going to go for two. And then I said, well, I'm going to go for three. And then I went ahead and did four. Yeah, Phil, what's the matter with you? Really Most people on YouTube, they record everything, no matter how mundane. You're you're punching yeah. up 605 for a four, and you don't even have a camera on you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. What the hell? Anyway. I've been slacking on that. I used to record a lot of stuff. but Yeah, well, we won't talk about that stuff. Yeah, I know. Nice. <laughs> okay, let's, let's get into the news. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Uh, the first bit of news is technology, and it's bad news. Uh, and we're going to have to call out to the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood here. Skype, which is now owned by Microsoft, I don't know how long ago they bought it, but Microsoft, in their wisdom, has made the decision to can all of the like Windows apps that work with Skype, so we will no longer be able to record the podcast. That is not good. And I'm sure there's people out there saying, yeah. what? Uh, we're scrambling for... Skype alternatives, and uh, I don't know, Phil or I, somebody, probably not Rob, <laughs> but we'll start some kind of thread on our Facebook listeners page and say, help, what are good Skype alternatives that we can use to record uh, the show? Now, even if you give us a good alternative, Phil had a good point, uh, because Skype is so standard and ubiquitous, uh, it's not hard to get people on the show sounding near CD quality uh, because they also have Skype. But that won't be the case if we go to one of these alternatives. So there'll be more guests on the phone, you know, phone quality, which you could, I'm sure you could hear the difference when we record. So any input is welcome. I mean, we are scrambling here. I just noticed it today that December 1st, our Pamela recording software is gone along with the rest of the other Skype apps. So I don't know. Not good. Uh, yeah, it's a pain. The biggest one is that problem where Skype is just so. Everybody has it, you know, and there's nothing out there like that. But yeah, well, imagine uh, listeners that we would, we'd have to ask people to download one of these alternatives, you know, just to be on the show. And a lot of people aren't going to want to do that, and I don't blame them. I don't want to load crap on my computer just for a 60 minute phone call and then have to uninstall it. And I don't know. So uh, I I don't know. We're we're open to any kind of alternatives. Voice over IP, you know, 
recordable stuff. Podcasters must be scrambling across the world uh, with this announcement because I don't know what we're going to do as far as recording stuff. We sure can't afford uh, hundreds of dollars a month for some fancy conference calling software. You see, that's what they're going to do. Eh? They're going to make everybody scramble because of the doing this, and they're, then they're going to wait till everybody's desperate because of this, and they're going to put it, oh, yeah, okay, here's our new software, and but it costs this X amount of money. Well, if it's even reasonable, I'll take it. I mean, we're listener-supported. We, we'll have enough funds that we can pay a reasonable amount every month to be able to get a replacement. But the plans are right now is to basically shit-can the whole shebang and not replace it. There's no news about how it's going to be replaced. I even went to the Pamela website uh, to see what we can get there, and they seem to be ignoring the problem. Maybe they're hoping for a few more sales in the month of November uh, before they're pinched out with everybody else. Uh, but they're not even mentioning it, at least not that I can see. So we're, we just got to go to the crowd, you know, and I know we have some techie people who listen. Uh, help. <laughs> help us. Uh, we're... Yeah. You know, I'm willing to pay. We have, like I said, we have that a, a small account from donors, and thank you so much, you guys who do that. Um, because when we get a curveball thrown at us like this, we could address it. We just have to find something that's uh, that's. I find it hard to believe that somebody who's listening doesn't have the answer. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, we're just going to crowdsource this here. We have some smart people. Strong, smart people are a good group to uh, go to. I was Googling things about Skype alternatives, uh, and there's Uber Conference. Looks like you can record them. Um, there are several. Uh, mm. But again, I'm just warning everybody because, as Phil pointed out, because it's not standard, you can't expect everybody to have one of these Skype alternatives. And we're probably. And I don't even know if we can even use that to call their phone. Presumably we could, um, but we need something where we can call phones or direct person-to-person and be able to record it because that's just such yep. a kick in the crotch. Thanks a lot, Microsoft. Yeah, thanks, Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, what else in the news? Uh, I got into a conversation today with another professor who is going on about how ibuprofen, um, apparently she saw this at a conference, Ibuprofen interferes with calcium release uh, in muscle tissue, and people who understand muscle physiology, you know there's that sarcoplasmic reticulum, which sort of holds calcium, and it, it rushes into the muscle, and contraction takes place. And I was being told today that if you take ibuprofen before you work out, it inhibits some of this process, not entirely, of course, you wouldn't be able to move, um, and it could cause you weakness. So... Being the nerd that I am, I went to the web, and let me show you what I found here. Um, the first one uh, was a sort of a 40-year retrospective review paper from Ball State, which is a very heavy research in, uh, institution, Journal of Applied Physiology, September 2013. So let me set the stage, and then I'll read you something about ibuprofen directly. It's been 40 years since the discovery that prostaglandins are produced by exercising muscle. Etc. Uh, Etc. Et it's also been determined that orally consumed doses of cyclooxygenase enzyme inhibitors, so the enzyme that makes these prostaglandins, can profoundly influence muscle protein metabolism. 
It says, although data from acute, again, short-term acute human exercise studies and some animal studies would predict that regular consumption of some of these cyclooxygenase inhibitors would dampen muscle growth, uh, the chronic data, training-type data, do not support this. Now, those of you who are longtime listeners, you know back from our discussions with Nick Bird that ibuprofen, for example, will suppress protein synthesis in muscle. But then when the ibuprofen is out of your system, it rebounds so aggressively that it more than makes up for it. Indeed, it says, from the studies in young and older individuals lasting from one and a half to four months, no interfering effects of these COX inhibitors, COX, uh, on muscle adaptations with resistance training have been noted. In fact, in older individuals, a substantial enhancement of muscle mass and strength have been observed. So they're saying it's a very interesting phenomenon. Uh, Nick Bird, when he was on, who's uh, now Dr. Bird, he was mentioning how ultimately they're mild anabolic agents, things like ibuprofen. So when it comes to that, um, I'm not getting the same message from the sort of nerd gossip that I heard today. And then here's another one. Here's a paper that's a little bit more directed to strength and uh, maybe closer to the reason some of us might take this. Um, this is a 2011 paper from Peterson and colleagues. It says, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or glucosamine reduce pain and improve muscle strength with resistance training in a randomized controlled trial of knee osteoarthritis patients. So again, somebody who's got that kind of osteoarthritis, that's the wearing of the joints. It's not quite the same as rheumatoid arthritis. But 12-week program, they put them on um, the NSAID drug, uh, the glucosamine, or a placebo, and they looked at their muscle cross-sectional area and strength. Um, There were 20 women and 16 men in the study. They were a little older. These people were like in their 50s. Randomly assigned to each of these uh, treatments, Results, no differences between the groups were seen in muscle cross-sectional area, so at least there was no dampening of muscle size gains. Um, Training combined with ibuprofen, the NSAID, right, increased maximal isometric strength by an additional 0.22 newton meters per kilogram. Um, Also enhanced maximal eccentric muscle strength by even more, in fact, almost double. Uh, And enhanced eccentric muscle work in comparison with a placebo. So conclusions in patients with knee osteoarthritis, the NSAID ibuprofen during a 12-week strength training program did not improve muscle mass gain, but did improve maximal muscle strength. So that's actually the opposite of what I was hearing today, that it would interfere with calcium release in the muscle and strength. So when I heard that today, I thought, oh, Lord, I mean, Phil and I are screwed, you know, because we're always (laughs) heading into workouts with couple hundred milligrams of ibuprofen some coffee or energy drink you know and um no indeed i think we're on the right track (laughs) at least from this but again we can sort of crowdsource this listeners go see what you can find i know some of you guys are savvy surfing medline and looking for conclusions but um it looks like there it really depends on the time course of this you know like you might see inhibition for a little bit but then it bounces back with the muscle growth um And at least in people with the osteoarthritis, it actually makes them stronger. And I don't know if that's because it's it's dampening the pain or if there's something else metabolically going on. Um, But as of right now, I'm sticking with my ibuprofen. Maybe aspirin. Maybe aspirin. In fact, I'll tell you this about aspirin. When we were in Spain, we mentioned this in that that recording, but 
aspirin seems to be a better choice in a lot of ways. Um, the ibuprofen seems to squash inflammation and prostaglandins so much that it sort of slows down the resolution process of an injury. And some of the healthy substances in a cell, like the resolvins and some of these other compounds, they don't really come back as rapidly with ibuprofen, but they do with aspirin. So I'm willing to go back and forth, maybe, between ibuprofen and aspirin. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> as long as I don't have to give them up. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. As you get older, you need to find these alternatives to just uh, a hot bath. <laughs> right. Yeah, a hot bath only goes so far. Well, that's <laughs> I wanted to point out about the osteoarthritis thing because that's part of the reason some people would take it. I mean, I have some of that in my family, and I'm already feeling it. Um, but it's population specific. You know, when you hear is ibuprofen good, good for strength, one of your first questions should be in who, you know. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, well, that's all I've got in the news. You guys have any news? Well, I wanted to touch upon this, the, these couple um, notices that were <laughs> posted about me perhaps recording on occasion some metal CD reviews. For those of our listeners who might actually benefit or enjoy such things, um, I think there's three of them that uh, sent forth that idea. Uh, so, so far, yeah. So anybody out there who thinks that might be of interest, email us through the um, email link on our site, ironradio.org, and let me know. Because I don't know if I, I want to do this for two guys, but. <laughs> but, but if, there's, if there's some people who think that now you also have to remember that if I do this metal heads tend to be elitist and I am certainly among those so if I do this if I did did decide to do this I wouldn't want this to turn into a flame war about everything I said yeah you know yeah, what I mean makes like, sense. yes because uh, you know it's uh, Clearly, if anybody wants me to do this, they have to recognize before the fact that you know one man has one opinion. So, um. no, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> I, well, I, also, I, I also oh, got go an ahead. email. I got an email from a listener as well that was kind of saying that I didn't do my homework when we were doing our Mister Olympia kind of um, rundown and all that type of thing. And I wrote back simply saying that no. No, indeed, I didn't do any homework for that. So, and I believe I said on the show that I had only seen the uh, introduction of each of the competitors of the Mister Olympia, uh, and that was all. So, um, and, and and I'm thinking about this only because of what I just said about the reviews. I mean, it's subjectivity, and I mean, certainly bodybuilding is the height of that. So, right. everybody has their opinions, and. Um, I'm not saying mine are better or worse than anybody else. They just are what they are. And like I've said, like I mean, you know, he kind of put quotations around professional journalists and that I didn't do my homework. And because I'm a, quote, professional journalist doesn't mean I necessarily always do homework on anything I comment on. So. Well, especially on something that's an editorial and an opinion piece, you know. Yeah, so, but at the same time, he was cool in his email. And, yeah, uh, no, he and I thought you were gracious about just saying, well, yeah, no, he was. Right. Yeah, no, he wasn't. He wasn't rude or anything, and certainly I, I actually appreciated his commentary as I as I told him. So, um, 
because yeah, this is subjective, and I'm you know, it's great hearing other people's opinions. So, so yes, just because you uh, you know you don't always have to send us emails that uh, congratulate us on our godliness when we drop down from Mount Olympus at, at times. You can, <laughs> you can also from Valhalla. Send, yeah, you can send yeah. us our uh, emails and call us out on that too. So, good stuff. I got a little news. Um, it came out this week that Holly Mangold is on The Biggest Loser. Um, you guys know who Holly Mangold is. She went to. She's the other heavyweight besides Sarah Robles that went to the Olympics for us. And uh, I've known this for a little while, but it hadn't come out. <clears throat> and uh, she decided to forego her Olympic lifting career to uh, go on the show to try and lose a bunch of weight and become famous. So I got mixed feelings about it. Now, is it is this the poor young girl that received so much flack because of her rotundus? Well, she's a fairly large girl. She's the one that her brother is a professional football player. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and she was on that MTV show, and now she, you know, decided, you know, and the sad part is she's probably right. Uh, she'll probably be more famous now for being on this show than if she even she stuck with her weightlifting career and won a gold medal. Mm-hmm. Is the sad yeah. fact, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. really sad. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I can't see it going well for weightlifting for her weightlifting career because I mean the way they take it off is not you know a way that's conducive for putting on you know a lot of or even keeping a lot of strength. So, oh no, I agree. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm seeing um, it on our page right here. U.S. Olympic weightlifter Holly Mangold on the biggest loser. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see, you know, it could be a money grab for her, but it's just kind of sad to me that, you know, you come in and she was still very young, could have worked her way up and, and done very well. But Well, you know, it's uh, we don't know exactly what her thought processes are, so who knows? Maybe she was running towards health complications. I don't know. Well, that's true. Uh, I have a couple other questions from this page, actually, now that we're on it. Uh, one guy, Pete, says, Hey, guys, two questions, one which maybe Lonnie could address. How much does eating high glycemic index carbs affect strength athletes? Apart from my post-workout meal, the few carb meals I do eat are mostly white bread type stuff. Is eating whole meal or whole grain really going to do that much as far as making a difference for keeping my body fat uh, down? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I think you're going to find that lifters can embrace a lower-carb diet probably better than the aerobic guys can just because aerobic guys are constantly burning through their glycogen. I mean, you can torch through essentially all of your liver and muscle glycogen in about two hours. Um, So I think the lifters can get away with it better. But we've talked about this a 100 times on the show. I mean, your, your calorie choices are carbs or fats. I would lean toward the lower glycemic index stuff, I mean, as tolerated, right? Things like oats and apples, and you can pound a lot of stuff, get a lot of calories in you, um, as opposed to white bread and jam, let's say, you know, but, um, but I don't know. What do you think, Phil? I mean, as far as, I mean, sure, there's some truth. How much? I think that's going to be an individual thing. Mm -hmm. No, I agree on how much you can cram in. Uh, You know, that's a tough, I mean, it's, it's going to have so many variables. You know, what you're training like, what's your lifestyle like. And, I mean, like you've talked about before, I mean, I think your your genomics comes into play, too, yeah. on, you know, if you can handle it more than others. You know, there are, there are, it's, it's, there are definitely 
people that can handle more cards better than others. I mean, that's seen in, like, the Inuit and things like that. You know, I mean, you give an Inuit a bowl of frickin' raisin bran, they'll probably become diabetic in a day. <laughs> <laughs> right, because they <laughs> live on protein and fat. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's hard to... Nutrition's tough that way. It's hard to make blanket statements. It really is. In yeah. fact, you know what? This, people might find this interesting, but it's actually difficult to come up with a nutrition knowledge questionnaire. I've actually looked myself, and you'll see other researchers saying, well, how do we get the answer key? <laughs> because everybody's different on a lot of these things. I mean, there are some general principles like variety and eat your fruits and vegetables and that sort of thing. But, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of individual differences. Their genetics play a bigger role in some things than others. And, I mean... Is it going to make or break this guy's physique? Part of it, I would even say, is age, because there are certain genes that turn on in your middle age years where, you know, for example, when I was younger, I would woof down a pound or even two of pasta with a similar amount of, like, uh, turkey meatballs or something. Yeah. And I, there's no way I could do that now. I'd be a beanbag chair, you know? So, <laughs> so um I don't know. I, we can't, you know, give you, obviously, it would be irresponsible to try to give very specific prescriptive advice to you, Pete. But in general, I don't think there's much good to come of refined high glycemic carbs unless you're, you know, it's a, like Phil, it's a vehicle that you can power back some more nutrients in general, mix some protein yeah. in. I mean, Rob used to go nuts with the rice and the tuna, you know, uh, people mix things with pasta. Um, pasta's not really high glycemic, but it's still some issues there. But, uh, but you can't fear the calories. You know, it depends if you're trying to gain or not. I mean, if you're trying to lean down, yeah, I'd stay away from the high glycemic stuff. You know, yeah. um, you know, I, I eat quite a bit of bread and pasta, and I think it's just indispensable for strength. To be honest with you, for me, um, I just feel stronger all the time when I'm just eating lots of everything carb-related. <laughs> well, I love Phil's term about vehicle because how do you get it from the plate to your mouth? I mean, the, the dough on the pizza is a vehicle. The burrito is the vehicle. The rice or the pasta is the vehicle. Exactly. Uh, and if, as long as you're throwing in a ton of veg and meat uh, or some kind of lean protein source, you know, great. Go for it. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff that's high glycemic is probably stuff you wouldn't be specifically looking for with the possible exception of maybe if you got a hankering for white rice or some brown potatoes, you know, regular potatoes, I wouldn't shy away from that stuff. You know, there's pros and cons to everything. We were talking about that a few weeks ago, but like the rice and the potatoes won't give you the problems with gluten that if it, if you did it with the pasta in the wheat route, you know, so there's always going to be pros and cons with that stuff, but I wouldn't sweat it too much, you know, keep it simple and if you're trying to gain size and strength, don't shy away from carbs. And if that means you're going to eat some white rice or some potatoes, I, I don't think any three of us are going to tell you not to do that. You know? What do you think of 100% whole wheat bread, Bonnie? Well, most one of the things I tell athletes is when they, they talk about wheat bread versus white bread is I'll say, well, you know what all bread is made from in the, in the States at least, right? Wheat. It's all wheat bread. In fact, they brown dye white bread. So if you buy just wheat bread, the cheap stuff, and if you don't look at the label on the back and look at the ingredients list, and it doesn't say 100% whole wheat, um, you might be eating some brown dyed white bread. I'm shitting you not. And then as far as the whole grain and that kind of stuff, sure. I mean, the more whole a food is, probably the better in a lot of ways. 
But if you're trying to mass gain, you know, just crash through barriers like Rob, you and I have written before and Phil's talked about eating buckets of different, you know, rice or getting on a kick of different kinds of things. Uh, in some ways, you can use the refined food to your advantage as a lifter, you know, because it's, it's yeah. easy to digest. It, you can annihilate in enormous quantities of it and use it to your advantage. So it depends, like Phil was saying, so many things, genetics, age, bulking phase, are you trying to get lean, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, I definitely use it. I mean, it's it's a big part of my diet. I mean, I don't think I'd be living on Lucky Charms and tricks all day long, Yeah. you know. Yeah, these other foods are, you know, they're just food, and sometimes we lose track of that. I mean, my God, rice and potatoes aren't food, you know. Stay away yeah. from that stuff. I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, so one, so, one more question before we go to break, and then we'll talk about our topic of the day, which is mentors. Uh, William oh. just asked, I was wondering when the protein book might get updated. <laughs> this kills me, William. I just, it took me forever. to. That book was two years in the making. And studies always come out, and when I see something new, it I always cringe. Like, oh, if only I could have crammed that in the book, too. You know? But most of this stuff, it's still current. I know he's, he says he's just hungry for more info. Um, like, for example, I know that there's a new review study out about the effects of protein in lean men. High-protein diets specifically on body comp in lean men. I'm very interested in that. I have some data of that I'm about to share Probably in 2014, actually, uh, at least in a poster, maybe in a in a manuscript. Um, but that's the kind of stuff that comes out, and I wish I could add it, you know. But um, these sorts of things, they nothing's going to change with a single study, you know. Usually, so I'm thinking that protein book is still uh, it'll be current for another year or two at least, and even then, it's there's chapters in that on the history of protein and strength sports and on some of the basic metabolism stuff or on some of the side effects. And I waited 20 years to look at this, the uh, any potential health drawbacks to protein, high-protein diets. And I was still waiting 20 years later, so I went and researched the stuff myself. Uh, and that's what's in that book. So some of that stuff is not going to change. So I appreciate you asking about it. I would say spend some time you know, digging around on Medline, you know, PubMed. Just type in two or three search terms of interest and uh, include the word review as one of your keywords, and it, it helps bring up some stuff that's sort of a, you know, it might be a 10-page review article. It's not as good as a whole book. Uh, yeah. The purpose of the book is to have a massive literature bank in your hand, uh, like in one place. Uh, but a re review's the next best thing, so that's what I'll say there. Okay, let's go to break, and then we'll come back, and we're going to talk about our mentors and uh, some of the things that we learned from them. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, 
Uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. Uh, If you simply Google CRC Press and protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people. And you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals. So you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So thanks. Hi, this is Rob Fortress Fortney, and I'm here to ask that as the holidays approach and your thoughts turn to giving, you consider your friends here at ironradio.org. Over the past several years, we've heard and read hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. We are here for you. But like any other radio format, we're listener supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 per month, you can become a sporting member. Keep your weekly dose of education, experts, and gen talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page or click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brother and Sister. Thanks for helping us create a place for better internet programming for all strength and muscle sports and a happy holidays. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Welcome back to Iron Radio. Um, today we're going to be talking about mentors and mentoring or mentorship or any of this type of thing. Right. Some of the things that we've learned maybe, um, you know, as far as how to act, you know, how to cut through the, the BS, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Of course, mostly related to, uh, our content here. Uh, mm-hmm. sometimes a mentor can go beyond that and almost be a role model in different ways, but, um. I can start off in this. You guys might think about some people, too, of course. But one of the guys that comes to mind for me was uh, his name was Ron Courtright. He was a martial arts instructor of mine from probably my mid-teens to my early 20s. Um, and I just learned a, a really a lot from that guy. I mean, everything from this traditional almost – I don't want to say it's an Asian quality of this sort of emphasis on honor, you know. But um, being a gentleman, you know – 
keeping your head and focusing uh, in the face of enormous exertion or even pain kind of things. Um, it was a very traditional kind of Taekwondo uh, school or passing on what you know. You know, it's all built into that sort of martial arts system. And I just think he was a great example of that. Um, and, of course, what, what am I doing here 20 years later? All of us were on Iron Radio. And we're passing on some of the things we've learned. Uh, and that's very intrinsic, I think, to a lot of martial arts schools, you know, where the senior students teach the younger students, you know, or the, the more novice students and that kind of thing. So he's definitely one that comes to mind, just a, a quality guy all around. You know, I really appreciated that guy. Don't don't be shy to throw me in there, Lonnie. Now you mentioned that before. You are desperate to be on my mentor list. It's not going to happen, Fortress. <laughs> 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 what about you, Phil? I know you were Im- impacted by the the uh, who was the guy in Thailand there? Uh, yeah, Calvin Neff. That would probably be the first one I pulled out um, because it was a big transition period in my career, going from more um, yeah, physique based stuff to just purely strength mm-hmm. and um you know getting the you know calvin just kind of walked me through that a bit you know and i hell i was living over there in a land i didn't know anybody and um you know it taught me a lot because i mean at first we met and he just shut up and did what i was doing you know and he said let's here i'm gonna try your program and then after about a month he's like okay now it's your turn to shut up you know, which was an interesting way. And I was like, okay, now you're going to learn from me. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, just, it pushed me along in a good way. Um, so, and, you know, I learned a lot to, you know, sit down. And it just, just about hard work and discipline, showing up, that, that every day isn't going to be, you know, a groundbreaking day, but you're going to go in there and you're going to work hard. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we're going to come back a day or two later and we're going to do it again. And, you know, you're talking about a guy who, was, who ranked elite in four different weight classes and he was – 56 years old at the time, and he's still going in there three, four days a week, still putting it in, you know, yeah. benching yeah. 500 at 56 years old. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know. And it was, you know, it was, it was one of those wake-up calls and, you know, pushed me to, hey, you need to eat a little bit. You know, you're, you're scrawny. You want to get strong? Eat. And Yeah. Yeah, things like that. So he'd be the first one that, that I'd pull up. You know, you mentioned <laughs> discipline. Um, I remember uh, one of the things that Courtright told me that I just mentioned was he defined it. He said, discipline is doing something when it's not convenient. And that has stuck in my head for 30 years, 20 years at least, is discipline is doing something when it's not convenient. Uh, and when work comes down on you and everything else, it, that's a good lesson to learn. That's what discipline is, you know. Yeah. You know, Fortress, you know, let me say, before you say something, let me say yeah. something. Fortress has been my mentor in one thing. Uh, between Mike <laughs> Nelson and Fortress Metal, I was not really up. I mean, the hardest I went into most stuff was some progressive stuff like Jane's Addiction or, or you know, classic Van Halen. I always loved that stuff. But um, I learned a lot about metal from Fortress. So. How about fashion sense? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've had, I would say multitudes of mentors, to be honest with you, or people that I've, you know, learned much from. Um, and I'm going to kind of, you know, revert to the music thing if you're here for a minute, because because uh, that is such a big thing in my life. Um, Neil Peart, the drummer, who's also the lyricist from the band, Canadian band Rush, um, not only is he one of the best drummers in the world, but he's he has been at times brilliant with his lyrics um, 
And I would say growing up from a young age, listening to and really kind of reading into what he was talking about um, really helped formulate a lot of the thoughts that I now carry with me as a older person. Um, the way I view the world and quite honestly, quite honestly, the way I kind of translate, you know, like I talk a lot about psychology and emotion and lifting and so forth, um, all those types of things. But further to that, I would say, and I mention him quite often, um, Tom Platts helped me a lot, um, certainly from a lifting perspective, because he kind of shifted kind of the way I thought about lifting in a lot of ways, because he is very much about what I'm talking, you know, about the psychology and the emotion of lifting. Mm -hmm. Um, And he would just come out with things and just say things that to me were really resonated very strongly with me as far as kind of how I thought about things, but maybe didn't have the vocabulary at that time to kind of like put it into words. Or kind Rob, of like you know quote. what? You you were very lucky to actually be able to talk to him directly because if we expand it to what I could, he's actually on my famous person's list because watching Pumping Iron and some of that sort of stuff and his philosophical bent to a lot of this, uh, that actually had quite the influence on me too. I really identified with that, but you were very lucky because you actually got to speak to him Directly, you know, whereas I was just getting him through VHS tapes, you know what I mean? Yeah, and and you know, my earliest influences like that I've t- I've said have been Tom Platts and the Barbarian Brothers. Now they've kind of you know there's there's lots of you know rumor mills about what's happened to those guys and one guy of one of those pairs in particular, but you know from a from a different angle those guys as well and I also had the, the, the fortune to hang around those guys and actually work out with those guys a couple times um, but certainly just reading and and finding out about those guys also because they were kind of in contrast a little bit to Tom Platts because Tom Platts was a little bit more refined in his brutishness um, whereas the Barbarian Brothers kind of took, took a little bit more of a well Barbarian Brothers, right? A little bit more kind of a you know warrior type attitude towards it, and kind of a um, you know performance based kind of viewpoint on perf- that type of thing. But I mean, those, the, both those that trio, the David and Peter Paul, the Barbarian Brothers, and Tom Platt, certainly. And like I say, um, Neil Peart, the lyricist drummer from Rush, for sure. Um, you know, not not to suggest that everything because he's pretty heavy handed sometimes. I mean, in his lyrics, it's not to suggest that I. I I wouldn't even say I really disagree with anything he said, but but definitely some of his lyrics have have really impacted me. And you know, if you if you look at um, one of my very favorite songs of all time by by the band Rush, it's called Natural Science. Um, anybody out there who wants to check it out, check out the lyrics of that song if you really want to kind of put yourself in perspective, because um, that whole thing talks a lot about the need to kind of find balance for humans to find balance with the natural world um, and how. You know, we might be all important, but at the same time, we're really just specks of dust. You know, dust in the wind, kind of a thing. But, um, but you know, it, it, it's I I think that's kind of helped me a lot because um, I think a lot of people are driven by you know um, arrogance or or a push towards being more and more arrogant, even if they don't realize it. I think humans naturally gear push towards that. I think that, um, I mean, you can even look at the whole topic of religion, you know, and, you know, man's belief that, you know, 
I can't die, you know, my soul, you know, my, what I am can never, you know, I have to pass it on, you know, I have to have children, I have to pass on my, you know, and, and this whole idea that you're so important. But I think sometimes when you free yourself from that idea that you are really that important, it makes you strive and become better than you would have otherwise. Um, because I think in a lot of ways, um, that arrogance is what binds people. You know, once you kind of let go of all that, you realize kind of your general irrelevance to the universe. Yeah. You know, kind of, and I don't mean that. And I, I've had people say to me um, in response to that thought that, oh, well, then it's going to take responsibility away from you. You know, and you just go and do things that you want. To, you know, be damned. You know, everybody else. But I think it's quite the for me at least, it's the opposite. I think it's kind of instilled in me more responsibility. You know what, Rob, you are illustrating uh, something that I think is a good point, which is just to kind of bring this back around a little bit, which is it's amazing how music and lyrics influence people. You know, if we did a contest tonight on our Facebook page and said, what's your favorite lyrics? I bet people could come up with some great stuff that's had a huge impact on them. You know, it's it's almost like a way to teach philosophy um, is to put it in a song like that, you know. Well, yeah, and the whole thing is, like you say, words can be extraordinarily powerful, as we all know, um, for some more than others. But, you know, but, but certainly somebody who's impacted by words, and then when you put it to music, you know, and, and, and you know, rhythm and melody and something that really touches you, when you combine those two things, you know, it's, 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 it's an incredible, I won't say use the word weapon, but you know what I mean? It's, an incre- it's incredibly forceful. And it, that's why I think like you're saying, Lonnie, so many people do. I mean, think about it. How many people refer to, you know, sections of lyrics or a line from a song they like, you know, in, in times when they need to, you know, draw on something for inspiration or um, yep. courage or, I mean, look at look at athletes, you know, before sporting events. How many athletes, you know, you see them put their iPod on or, or what have you, right? Um <clears throat> That type yeah. of thing. So yeah. It, well, let's let's take this back to mentors. Uh, Phil, can you think of anybody else that's been a big impact on you as far as uh, a guide, sort of? Jeez, and that's hard because there's been so many. I, I think. I mean, it's just I've been lucky enough to meet so many people in person um, that I can't name one. And a lot of them are friends, you know, and and just clients I've come to. I've been in contact and been able to train personally with. I mean, a lot of people, and it's just. It's, I've always taken in that mindset of, from those days when I was with Calvin, okay, I'm going to shut up and learn what I can from this guy, um, type of thing. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, of course, I mean, I, me and Jim Wendler talk a lot about training, and, you know, Jesse Burdick, training with him and his team was great, and Mark Bell, and, jeez, um, I mean, I used to talk a lot with um, Chad Waterbury back in, in the day, and yeah. The list goes on and on. And then, like you said, all the people we've met on here. I mean, being able to talk personally with, uh, you know, Bill Pearl. Oh, yeah. I talked to him off the air several times when when I was calling him to be on the show. And he's just such a nice guy. He'd sit there and talk to you for an hour. You know? And, you know, things like that. And it's just, um, I think the biggest thing people can do is just really go into any situation and shut up and learn, you know, whenever you can. You know, (laughs) Phil, um, just to nerd out a little, but if listeners are familiar with what's his name, uh, is it Neil deGrasse Tyson? I think he's that um, he's a black physicist 
uh, and he's very popular. And um, he actually suggests that instead of putting all your eggs in one basket when it comes to a hero or a mentor, that you should really almost invent your own sort of uh, amalgam of your favorite mentor. You know, like, so anybody's hero should really be sort of this construct of, it could be uh, half a dozen or more, you know, individuals with traits that you admire. I agree. I mean, you see a lot of people that are, you know, I don't know, in this industry you think of, like, Czechies, you know, Paul Czech's followers and this like that, and their book's only so deep, you know? (laughs) They can only draw from one person, whereas, you know, I mean, you get out there and learn from as many as you can, and you start being able to pick and pull, and that's not saying, I mean, you know, Mark Ripto's another one I've learned a ton from. I spent a lot of time in this place, and I don't agree with everything Mark says. But I agree with a lot of what he says, and I've, I've been able to take from him and, and, you know, take something from everybody you meet. And, uh, right. right. You, you know, find, you, your, find what works for you and works for your people. You've probably taken quite a bit from me, right, Phil? Oh, everything I know. Yeah. <laughs> it all comes from north of the border. Fortress yeah. is fishing. Fishing for company. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> and if I said musical, I my musical, uh, um, what would it call, what are we talking about, um, Jeez, I lost. Like inspiration, inspiration. Yeah, it's Justin Bieber. Right Justin now, Bieber. today, it's going to be Lemmy from Motorhead. Because uh, no matter how old and beat up I am, I can still keep going hard. That's right. So. That's funny, Phil. You'd, you'd appreciate it. my my son is uh, quite the fan. Yeah. Oh, I love. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if that should worry me or not. <laughs> you know, I wanted to mention. I was saying something about the nerdy side too. Uh, my advisor of many years. You know, when you get your doctorate especially in some programs more than others, it can take many years. I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, four years for your bachelor's, maybe two more for your master's, but then you, you might be back for four to six more at the doc level, and you get to know your advisor very well. And Pete yeah. Lemon was a huge influence on me. He's one of the guys I still think about uh, how he was so, like, equanimous, you know, neutral, calm, almost Vulcan in his, you know, pure logic kind of approach to things. Um, and he would teach you things by example, like pause and think before you speak, you know, and then you're rarely wrong. I mean, if you if you know what you're talking about and you pause for a minute, you don't say rash things so much, you know, but he was very systematic in the way he did things. He would never say anything bad about anybody. You know, he'd only it's like what your mom would say. Don't say to something if uh, you can't say something nice, you know, and but I mean, as far as putting together studies and. I mean, we would sort of laugh about the way he he would eat lunch. I mean, he would scrape. <laughs> I hope he never listens to this. He would scrape his yogurt lid. You know, we we'd have meat with Pete at lunch, and we we would look at different studies and see what was good or bad about them, sort of pick them apart. He'd scrape like six horizontal rows on the lid, rotate it ninety degrees, six more rows on the lid of yogurt. I mean, he was that systematic with things, uh, and that taught me to be very careful. Uh, with my own research and when I teach it to students now, you know, it's, it's very much like a family tree when it comes to research and academics. You know, what you learn from your mentor, you pass on to your own. And I think that's one of the, the biggest bragging rights for some of the old professors is where are their students now? You know, how many are in med school? How many got their doctorate? How many had grad students that went on to become superstars of their own? You know what I mean? It, it, it's like a living legacy and you can see it. Um, but Pete, and you know, also a lot of listeners know 
David Barr will often point this out about me, but Carl Sagan was a huge influence too. I think, Rob, what you're talking about with uh, the importance of mankind and putting things in perspective and everything, boy, go watch those old Cosmos videos or um, Pale Blue Dot. Is, you can get it in audiobook um, or uh, Science as a Candle in the Dark. These are profoundly philosophical. They're not just science books, and they really put things in perspective. You know, like Pale Blue Dot, like what you were saying, Rob, about humans are tiny specks. Well, he, I mean, he points at the whole Earth. You know, they turned the cameras back on the Voyager uh, ship when it was so far from Earth, it was really nothing but a little dot. And he's like, you know what, all your heroes right there on that dot, all the wars, all the bloodshed, all so that somebody can be momentary master of a fraction of a dot. You know, and it really puts things in perspective. But like you said, you could look at that two ways. A, sort of nihilist and like nothing matters. Or B, you know, it's such a tiny thing. You should cherish something that's so rare and tiny, you know. But but anyway, so yeah. uh, there were the science side guys for me as well, you know. I think a big part about not having, you know, having more than one mentor too is you have to reach a point where you... Yeah, you've got to shut up and listen. Absorb as much as you can. But if you never reach the point of actually questioning that person that's your mentor, I think you need to do that. You need to realize that, okay, maybe not everybody's exactly right about everything. You know, and you need to question their theories and question their philosophies. Um, and then, you know, see what they see, see if they do pan out. Um, if you just blatantly believe everything they say... I think you're 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 setting yourself up for trouble, and I've seen a lot of people do that. Um, and that's not to say they're wrong, but go ahead and and, and check it out for yourself. Right. You know, it's funny, Phil. But my formulation with what you're saying is, be willing to change your conclusions in the face of yeah. new evidence. You know, a lot of gurus will never change their conclusions because then oh. their old books won't sell. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but when what we were just talking about ibuprofen, I'm like. I don't know, maybe I should switch to aspirin. You know, I better go look at this because I am willing to revise my MO, you know, my conclusions and how I operate based on some new data. And you're right. That would happen also with mentors because memories tend to sweeten with time, you know, and before you know it, your memories of somebody is, it might not be quite as um, valid maybe as as your emotions tell you. Well, you know, when I was talking about you know, arrogance and so forth. I mean, how how many of us, and I think probably all of us, have been in a situation where we've been, I don't like to use the word argument, but perhaps, or debate with somebody about something. And, not evidence necessarily, but, but information is presented that you can see you've kind of destroyed somebody else's way of thinking about something. Yeah. But due to their conceit and ego... They'll still argue against it simply because they just they, they, they can't they won't they won't let even if they even if you see in their eyes that they realize that they're wrong they'll still hold their position tight because their ego won't allow them not to yeah you know yeah it's not weakness to embrace what's real <laughs> no exactly <laughs> I mean I've always say it you know if I have an opinion and if somebody says something that uh, you know makes me like you say Lonnie it challenges or, you know, it completely obliterates what I thought to be true, or, and, or, changes the way maybe I think about something. I mean, I mean that's that's great, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And like you say, there's nothing weak about that at all. It's it's just, you know, expanding your intellect and your scope of things. Well, I think rather to the contrary, you've just become stronger, 
you know, because you've adopted something that's true. Oh, yeah. I mean, Lord knows we've all been wrong. I mean, if you're talking just training and nutrition, if you took all of us and went back even 10 years, what we were doing is probably pretty drastically different than it is now because we've adopted new things and learned more. And we're always trying to learn more. And, you know, I'm not afraid to say, oh, yeah, I was wrong. I'm changing it. You know, I'm not doing that anymore. Right. Well, I can tell you, like, when I traveled when we were in Spain recently and that sort of stuff, people were eating uh, reasonably large amounts of animal fat, for example. Like, you here you pay, like, $9 for a little four ounces of prosciutto. There it's free, we know, with your tapas. They'll send you some bread and oil and some prosciutto and other kinds of meats and olives. And uh, But the way they went about things, they sat down, they enjoyed their food immensely. They didn't gulp it down while they were running around. But the point is... I got these experiences that will change the way I look at food a little bit compared to maybe what I did 10 years ago. You know what I mean? The more you travel, that helps. The more you read and new science comes out. And then after a while, I think the ultimate conclusion is you start realizing, I keep adding these experiences and tweaking my uh, thoughts on this. But in the end, I'm an N of one. I'm one person. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I mean, how uh, limited that perspective you know, so, uh, I mean, everybody's got to operate with one mind. I, I get that, but you know what I mean. You do start to appreciate, like Rob is saying, your relative insignificance. And not that that's a bad thing, you know, but uh, it just leaves a lot of room for humility and to continue to try to improve, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know we're just about out of time, so I just thought it'd be fun to address that sort of thing. I mean, if we got into famous people, it could be a whole other episode. I, I, the I most did famous person I've met is Rob Fortney. Holy shit, that's awesome. That's all he wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> you, made my, you made my day, Phil. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to order some pizza from you now. There you go. <laughs> the Fortress. He stands firm, resolute against the forces of evil. <laughs> a bulwark of intellect. <laughs> Jeez, man. How about that? Let's just heap the compliments on Rob so he can, uh, if we don't get him next week, he can be glowing for the next uh, two weeks here. Yeah. Yeah, feel free to send me emails with your uh, adulation, I hope. <laughs> with your praise and adulation. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. And and give us some suggestions on how we can uh, keep keep this uh, clown parade going. Yeah. (laughs) Right, yeah. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.